You're listening to sermon audio from Providence Baptist Church. Be sure to check out pbcfrankfort.org for more information. If you have a Bible, if you turn to Galatians chapter 1. Galatians chapter 1, we're going to read the first five verses, just sort of as an intro to today's message, but we're really going to center everything on verse 4. Um, so Galatians, 5, uh, Galatians 1, verses 1 through 5, and our focus is going to be on verse 4 today, because in verse 4, Paul gives us a very simple, but yet a very profound uh, realization or understanding of the work of Jesus Christ on the cross and what it means for us moving forward in our lives, not only in our lives eternal uh, after death, but what it means for our lives here uh, on this earth. So Galatians 1, 1 through 5, if you want to follow along with me uh, in your word as well. Paul writes, this letter is from Paul, an apostle. I was not appointed by any group of people or any human authority, but by Jesus Christ himself and by God the Father who raised Jesus from the dead. All the brothers and sisters here join me in sending this letter to the churches of Galatia. May God the Father and our Lord Jesus Christ give you grace and peace. Jesus gave his life for our sins, just as God our Father planned, in order to rescue us from this evil world in which we live. All glory to God forever and ever. Amen. The message today is really two words coming out of Jesus 4, or out of First Galatians 1 verse 4, and out of these words from Paul. And it's this idea of redemption and rescue. What Paul is telling the church at Galatia and what he's telling us today through this is that there's a plan that God had from the beginning through Jesus Christ, and it was a plan that involved redemption and rescue. We see redemption in the very first section of verse 4. Jesus gave his life for our sins. And there's two really important points to take from this. The first is that Jesus gave his life. It was the willing, voluntary nature of Jesus to do so. This is something that's supported throughout Scripture. In Mark 10, 45, Jesus' words were this, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. In John's Gospel, in John 10, it's the, the Good Shepherd discourse, or the Good Shepherd teaching that Jesus does, and he's talking about the fact of laying down his life as the Good Shepherd. And he says in verses 17 and 18, No one can take my life from me. I sacrifice it voluntarily. It's important for us as we remember the work on the cross to remember that Jesus did this willingly, voluntarily. There was no coercion. There was no begging. There was no pleading. There was only agreement from Jesus to the Father that this was the plan of redemption for all of mankind. And what Paul really kind of gives us here is this understanding and what the scriptures give us is this understanding that Jesus gave his life as a substitute for mine and for yours. Uh, Throughout history, there have been seven theories or seven understandings of the atonement of Jesus Christ on the cross. And typically, all those sort of bleed over into one another, and, and nobody that I really know of says, this is the theory or this is the understanding. But one of those understandings is this understanding of penal substitution theory. And that is that there was a penalty for sin... And rather than us pay that penalty, Jesus substituted himself for us and took that penalty. 
It's why Paul will say in other writings in the New Testament that we were crucified with Christ without any of us literally being crucified. He was a substitute. He was a stand-in. He, he took that for us in our place. And so for Paul, the cross or the message of the cross is central to this letter in, to the churches in Galatia. Because there were teachers, there were people coming in, a group called the Judaizers, and they were basically infiltrating the church and saying, yeah, yeah, Jesus is good, the cross, blah, blah, blah. But to know that you're really saved, you've got to keep all the elements, all the aspects of the law. If you've, if you've still got your Bibles open there, just look down in verses 6 and 7 of chapter 1, what he says after that passage we just read. He says, I'm shocked that you're turning away so soon from God who called you to himself through the loving mercy of Christ. You are following a different way that pretends to be good news but it is not good news at all. It is not good news for any man, woman, boy, or girl to think, I have to do something to earn God's love. It is not good news for any man, woman, boy, or girl to think, I have to do something to be saved. It is great news to trust in the biblical truth of understanding that Jesus took our place paid that sacrifice for us voluntarily and saves us. And so we see this in the redemptive issue. We see that as voluntary, and we see the purpose of it there again in verse 4. Jesus gave his life, why? For our sins. And again, scripturally, this is backed up in all kinds of places. In Matthew chapter 1, when the angel visits Joseph, who's decided to quietly divorce Mary, he encourages him, don't, don't divorce her. The child that she has has been birthed by, uh, has been conceived by the Holy Spirit. And he says, you will name him Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. In Luke chapter 1, verses 76 and 77, it's in the middle of Zechariah, who was John the Baptist's father, and his uh, pronouncement or his announcement over his son. And he says, you, my son, will be called the prophet of the Most High. You will prepare the way for the Lord, and you will tell his people how to find salvation through forgiveness of their sins. John the disciple writes of John the Baptist in John's Gospel, chapter 1, verse 29. The next day, John the Baptist saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And so in these, in these supporting pieces of understanding that Jesus died for our sins, we see that from the very beginning, the message was, Jesus is here to take care of your sins. Jesus is here to pay the penalty for your sins. Jesus is here to take the punishment for your sins. And in those passages I just read from Matthew and from Luke and from John, we have phrases of his people and we have phrases of the world. And so sometimes that gets people to ask him, well, who did Jesus die for then? Just his people or for everyone? John, the disciple, backs that up in his writing in 1 John by saying this, my dear children, I'm writing to you. This is in 1 John 2. My dear children, I'm writing to you. So that you will not sin, but if anyone does, we have an advocate who pleads our case before the Father. He is Jesus Christ, the one who is truly righteous. He himself is the sacrifice that atones for our sins, and not only our sins, but the sins of all the world. Who did Jesus die for? All the world. Everyone. The gospel message is not a good life, it's not that we see miracles. It, the gospel message really in its, 
entirety is not even that we get to go to heaven. Those are all benefits of the gospel message. But the gospel message is that Jesus, the Son of God, becomes the sin bearer, the sin taker, and willingly, voluntarily goes to the cross to pay the penalty of sin for all people. Now, we do have to be a little careful there because the the tendency can then begin to say, well, aren't all people then saved? If he gave his life for the atoning of all the sins of all the world, aren't all people saved? The reality of it is this, the work on the cross is effective for all, but only beneficial for those who believe by faith. Did Jesus die for all? Absolutely. Are all saved? No. Because there are some who reject it. There are some who reject God, who reject Jesus, who reject the teaching, who reject the basis of of these things of the gospel. And so therefore, Jesus' work is not beneficial to them, for they don't take the step of faith. When I was thinking through it this week, I thought about um, class action lawsuits. And you might think, that's a weird way to go, but let me explain to you, right? If you've ever received one of those letters or maybe an email or something, you, you are involved in a class action lawsuit. And of course, your first thought is, I'm not suing anybody. But you read a little further, and it's usually a lawsuit that's brought against a company or a business or something. And maybe you were a customer or maybe you shopped at that particular uh, store in that time period. But the, it goes on to say, basically, that there's this lawsuit filed and that if you want part of it, just fill this form out and return it or go online and fill this form out or call us back or something, right? I did that one time. I was really excited. It was like early, it was like 2003, 2004. I'm thinking, all right, I'm going to get the windfall here, right? And about six months later, yeah, I got a check for 42 cents. <laughs> it was the last time I entered one of those. But what, what those class action lawsuits are is that the lawsuit is effective for everybody, but you only get a check if you take the steps. In a much, much deeper and grander scale, the work of Jesus Christ is effective for everybody, but it's only beneficial for those who take the step of belief by faith. So we have that redemptive peace, and then we have the rescue peace. Look again at verse 4. Jesus gave his life for our sins, just as God our Father planned, in order to rescue us from this evil world in which we live. If you were to do a, a, a question survey just generally of people in your life, stop them in the, in the stores maybe or call them on the phone or whatever and say, what does Jesus save us from? The, probably the most overwhelming answer would be he saves us from hell. And to be sure, he does. But Paul makes no mention of hell here. He says Jesus gave his life for our sins in order to rescue us from this evil age or this evil world, depending on your translation, in which we live. That's an important phrase there because what Paul is saying is we remain in this evil age, we remain in this evil world, but yet we are rescued. How does that happen? How do you rescue someone from harm, from death, from danger, and and take them into safety without removing them from this? The reality is what Paul is teaching here and what the the biblical perspective of this is that Jesus is spiritually rescuing us while we physically remain in this place until our last day. 
He is spiritually rescuing us from the power of sin. He's spiritually rescuing us from the penalty of sin. He's spiritually rescuing us from all manner of things in this world while we stay in this world. And it's, it's really interesting the way it's worded here. It's that Jesus gave his life in order to rescue us from this evil world in which we live, um, the, the way it's really worded in, it, in its foundation is this, that Jesus rescues us, and, and obviously we receive benefit from that, but Jesus receives the greatest benefit from that, meaning that he receives glory. He receives glory by rescuing people. He receives glory by going to the cross. And by virtue of his sacrifice, he receives us in rescue. This is how we are able to become called sons and daughters of God. In, in another letter, Paul writes this in 1 Corinthians 6. He's, he's speaking there specifically of issues of sexual morality, but he makes this as an application point for us today. Verses 19 and 20. You do not belong to yourself, for God bought you with a high price. and You must honor God with your body. What, what is the high price? The high price was the life of his son. He rescued, he purchased us, he bought us, those of us who believe in faith. And so there's a rescue that goes on for people who believe in Jesus. There are two things needed for a good rescue. A rescuer and someone who realizes they need to be rescued. You, you, you've probably seen you know, on, a, on a movie scene or a, a television scene, or you may even have seen it played out in real life, where uh, the one that comes to my mind the most of, of visualization is like a water rescue where you have someone go in to someone who's in trouble and but that person begins to fight back right and it makes it very hard on the rescuer to to get them in and sometimes they're fighting back because they're just overwhelmed and they're nervous and they're 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 just they just can't take it all in sometimes they don't really think they need to be rescued I'm fine I'm not in too deep of water no you know no problem but regardless as long as that person is fighting back that rescue can never really take place properly Human beings need rescue. And, and this rescue is for both sinner, who has yet to be rescued, and saint, who has been rescued. It's worded in such a way that we understand that Jesus is in the business of continually rescuing us from this evil age and world that we live in. Let me give you a, a scriptural piece to that. In Romans chapter 7, Paul, writing as a person who's already saved talks about the power of sin in his life still. And throughout Romans 7, he says, uh, I, I do the things I don't want to do. The things I want to do, I don't. And he, he describes this battle that goes on. Let me just kind of insert here for just a moment. Like if you've got that battle going on in your life, that's actually a good thing. Because it means there's a piece of you birthed by Jesus that's fighting against the fleshly you. If you don't have that battle, that's a red, that's a red sign. That's a red flag. But he says, I've got this battle going on, uh, uh, all this, and he, he culminates chapter 7 in this statement, verse 24, who will free me, who will deliver me, who will rescue me from this life of sin and death? And he says, the answer is Jesus. Paul, as a saved person, is writing about the continual battle that he has and the continual need for rescue. Uh, th this is really, really important, folks. Because in, in this, the letter to the Galatians here, he's putting forth this understanding that Jesus has given his life for us, not just so that we have life after death, 
but that we have life here, and that the life we have here is different, and that the life we have here is escaping the present age and world that we live in, which is evil. And so long as our gospel is just believe in Jesus and go to heaven, we have a very weak and ineffective gospel. Why? Because we're not teaching anybody what it means to continue to live in this present evil age. We're not, continuing to, we're not teaching anybody what it means to, to overcome the power of sin, the persuasion of sin, the, the power and the persuasion of evil in this life. We're just so focused on there that we forget about here. And yet what Paul is saying is Jesus gave his life to rescue us while we're still here. To continually remove us from the impact of this evil world. And so we want to combat ineffective, weak Christian faith by being, being reminded that we are always in need of rescue. You, you may have been a believer for 40, 50, 60 years of your life. I guarantee you there's still days where you need rescuing. There's still days where you're, you're may not be saying the exact words that Paul says, but you're saying the words, who's going to free me from this moment? And the answer is always Jesus. The answer is not some kind of church involvement. The answer is not, uh, I do these religious works. The answer is always Jesus who gave his life for our sins. Look there again as part of this understanding of rescue. He says, in order to rescue us, verse 4, from the evil world in which we live. You might beg the question, well, if we're rescued from it, why are we still here? Why are we still here? In, in John 17, when Jesus prays for his disciples and then consequently then prays for all who believe, he says this prayer concerning the disciples, I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. Jesus makes it clear through that prayer that belief in him does not result in an automatic extraction from this evil world or age. In 1 Corinthians 5, I actually used this a couple weeks ago, but uh, Paul is talking about uh, the issues of, of dealing with people involved in sexual morality in the church. And he says in verse 10, when I told you not to associate with them, I didn't mean people in the world, because to not associate with them would mean you'd have to leave this world. And he's clearly stating the, the plan is not for God to save you and then pull you out, but to save you and leave you. And so we're rescued from the power and penalty of sin, but we're not removed from this evil age of this world because the mission of the kingdom of God remains. The one that began with Abram, that moved to Israel, that saw its fulfillment in Jesus, that then moves to the church, is the mission of God that remains in even this evil and fallen world. And so what happens if we're all extracted after we're rescued? What happens if we're all removed? Then all that's left is the evil. Christ rescues us, but we're left here for a purpose. Imagine if you would, um, perhaps maybe a, a, sh a sinking ship that's getting ready to go underwater. And somebody shows up and begins to throw out life preservers and hand out life preservers. And imagine a, a, an able-bodied individual, male or female, but somebody who's in, in good health, good swimmer, so on and so forth, taking that life preserver and then jumping and bolting, leaving behind those who couldn't, women, children, those who are physically unable. We, we would not think much of that person, would we? We would think them spineless, coward, certainly not courageous. But imagine that person who's able 
to know that they're safe, making sure that everyone else is taken care of before they take that step. We would call that person a hero. We would call that person courageous. We would call that person selfless. God has given us a life preserver in Jesus. He has rescued us. And too often what we want to do with that is say, sure I'm glad I'm safe. Sure I'm glad I'm going to heaven. And yet he rescues us and leaves us in this evil world and age for the mission of his kingdom, which is to say to others, here's how to be rescued. Here's how to be rescued. Here's how to know this Jesus. Here's how to know this God. Here's how to know the truth of this word. Here's how to know the power and the presence of the Spirit. He has redeemed us and he has rescued us that we may tell others. So the point for us today then as we begin to get ready to remember the work on the cross is this. Number one, to give thanks for your redemption. Those of you who are in Christ Jesus today, you're going to remember through the taking of the elements, his work on the cross. And it was for your sins, it was for my sins. And so what I want to encourage you to do here in just a moment is to consider that redemptive part and give him thanks as you need to give thanks. And then secondarily, I want you to consider this, the idea of rescue. And the idea that we are continually in need of rescue. And I want you to think through this question. What do you need rescued from today? In this evil age, in this evil world, in, the, in this world that struggles, uh, gives you struggles and, and heartache, what do you need to be rescued from today? It may be a sin that just won't let go or that you won't let go of. It, it can be anxieties over issues, fears over issues. It can be you need to be rescued from the belief that you somehow need to religiously measure up to get more of God's love and grace. Whatever the case is, whatever the issue is in, in our lives, what do you need to be rescued from today as you remember the work of Jesus on the cross? And what I encourage you to do in that moment is just to say, Jesus, rescue me. I encourage you to mimic Paul's words from Romans 7. Who, who, can, who can deliver me? Who can free me? Who can set me free from this? Jesus. And I encourage you in prayer to turn that over to him. To identify yourself as one in need of rescue. That the rescuer may come and do his work. Thanks for listening. If you have any thoughts, questions, or prayer concerns, please email us at pvcfrankfurt at gmail.com.